This episode is brought to you by the book, Dare to Scale, How to Grow Your Business Gracefully. The book is written for the courageous business owner, the entrepreneur, you. Visit daretoscale.com books now to get your paperback, ebook, or audiobook copy today. I think if you're going to enter the TV industry, you have to understand that you need to be willing to do anything and everything. You have to be willing to start from the bottom and work your way up. Hello. You are listening to the Dare to Scale show with me, Evan. And me, Warsha. This show is about all things scaling. Scaling your business, your journey, and you. You are here because you dare to dream. Dared to dream big. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Or perhaps even join in. Hello and welcome back to part two of this conversation about Studio Expo with our Studio Expo's executive producer, Reem Alhuni. Reem has been sharing amazing stories on what it takes to make the greatest show on earth live on TV and make it a success, an effortless success. And if you haven't listened to episode 44, we highly recommend you start with that, listen to that, and then come back and continue listening because These stories, if anything, will leave you thinking, wow. And we think when we go through, and there's something that Reem did say in in the previous episode about when we go through our daily life, we think, well, there's a sense of urgency. And yet, when you listen to these stories, you think, well, we've got a whole 24 hours. We can change the world in those 24 hours because that's the kind of stories that we've been listening to. So welcome back to part two, Reem. Thank you for continuing to be with us and sharing your story. Over to you again. Hi, Reem. Welcome back. Yeah. And you now have episode one pre-recorded, and that's where we stopped the last episode. Over to you, madam. What happened after that? Well, that's a great place to start because you would think I had episode one pre-recorded and ready to go, except what happened then was on our very first day, 1st of October, when just to explain to everyone at home, your first episode, our episodes were 90 minutes long. In order for us to be able to play out a 90-minute episode, it needs to be ingested into the system in real time. So it requires 90 minutes to actually feed it into the system, and then it gets played out. So given that our show airs at 9 a.m. in the morning, I was right there at five in the morning on the 1st of October with my episode, ready to feed it in, um, except no one else was. Um, so I was there at what is known as your master control room saying, guys, I've got the episode. I need to give it to you. And there's no one there. And I'm searching and I'm scouring and I'm ringing phones. And eventually I had someone answer at around seven in the morning. And this panic started to kind of arise because I realized that I'm now starting to run out of time in terms of feeding the episode into the system in order for it to play out at 9 a.m. So in order for that to happen, the latest that it could happen was 7.30. And I had a technician respond and he said, oh, we start our shift at 8. And I was saying, well, that's too late. I've gone through this whole effort and this whole experience to pre-record an episode. And I'm now hearing that purely because there isn't a technician available at this time, my episode isn't going to get fed into the system. And he said, look, we're going to be there at eight. We'll do it when we get there at eight. 
And I begged and I pleaded and he said, look, I'll try and come earlier. But it really dawned on me very quickly that my backup episode was no longer a backup. And mm. it was becoming very evident that we were going to have to go live and we're going to have to use the gallery for the very first time and put up with whatever challenges came up on the spot. So that realization and that penny dropping was interesting. We had to rally the troops and just get energized to try and pull this off as efficiently as we could live. And yeah, that's a whole other, other story, which I'll, I'll jump into. Oh, wow. I mean, something so simple. I'm just, no, no, we only started at eight o'clock. Really? <laughs> so, oh, that's incredible. So how did that end up happening? Frighteningly. So what had happened was, you know, for our first episode, I'd made the decision that we would have all four of our studio presenters in the studio. So we we didn't have any guests. We didn't have any outside guests, which felt like the safer option given it was day one and a great way to introduce us and the team. But what was meant to happen was, you know, we have a script. The script is in the autocue. You know, each presenter reads their part on the autocue. They mm -hmm. may have chats in between. And throughout the episode, we play different reports. So, and each report varies between two to four minutes in duration. And they usually call it kind of anchor points for the presenters to, you know, have a chat about the report that has just been played. And I think in that first episode, we had around 15 reports because it was a 90 minute show and the opening ceremony had just happened the night before. So there was a lot of content for the team to talk about. What became very apparent is that the system known as an EVS system, where all the reports are fed into, was not operating the way we needed it to. What that meant mm. is that the reports were not in the system and we had to manually feed them into the system leading up to us being on air. So we got to 9am and we're counting down and the show is about to go live. And at that moment in time, I still didn't know how many of those 15 reports were in the system and which ones were in the system, mm. which also means that you can no longer follow your auto cue plan or your script plan because you just don't know. And I have to be honest and thank presenters that day because of their level of experience doing live TV. You know, they were able to have a lot of banter and natural sh chat whilst we were figuring out the mechanics in the background. So mm. what would happen is, you know, I think a lot of people know Tom Cart, who's one of our presenters, and, you know, I'd be speaking in his ear and he'd be talking about, you know, he'd be having a casual chat with the co-hosts. And in the meantime, be frantically shouting, going, what report do we have? What report do we have? And someone else would be running to check the report and someone else would be like checking if it's in the system. And like, we've got one on workers. We've got one on workers. Like, Tom, we've got one on workers. And then he'd suddenly go, well, let's take a look at the workers that have just made this possible. Mm. And we'd play the workers report. You know, that would give us a whole four minutes to figure out what we were going to do next. So in that four minutes, we were literally so what's the next report? What else do we have? What else do we have? And it was just this constant, nope, it's not in the system. Run to the edit, run to the edit. And it was literal mayhem of just running around trying to ensure that we had enough content to fill the 90 minutes. And the frustration is we had it. It wasn't that we weren't prepared. You know, we had everything ready. It was a technical error. And, and unfortunately, due to the fact that it was the first time we were using the system, you know, which you would never have imagined would happen on the world's greatest show, you know? So but again, you know, we had a great team. Everyone really just persevered and did their best to get everything moving in that hour and a half. 
But what was even more interesting is that this was the first show that aired on Expo TV. So, you know, everyone in their building and their mother, it felt like, was showing up in our studio to either wish us well or tell us what a great job we were doing. And at one point, I was sort of sitting there, you know, just quite tensed, just trying to focus and figure out like what our next step was. And I remember sort of the, the head of broadcast came and just kind of rubbed my shoulder and said, oh, good job. And I, was, I kind of looked up at him thinking like, is this really the time for that is what I was thinking. And, you know, I'd turn around and I'd see another senior expo person at the door and they literally all, you know, passed through. And I kept thinking, what could they be thinking at this moment in time? Because, you know, this is our first official outing. It's our first episode. And it was mayhem. And literally, imagine an entire 90 minutes where the presenters didn't know what was coming up next. And we didn't know what was ready and how to maneuver it, let alone other challenges, because it was, you know, new equipment as well. So audio, you know, communication that would fail, you know, one person's earpiece wouldn't work, and then the next one wouldn't work. And, you know, so we were dealing with a lot of internal challenges. And I remember finishing that 90 minutes, and just thinking, oh, my God, it's a miracle. I have no idea how we've pulled it off, but we've pulled off a full 90-minute episode. And it was almost flawless, like technically, and for a viewer at home, it was, it was very would have flawless. no idea, yeah. They would have no clue what was happening with us in the background. And I left the gallery, and it was like a huge sigh of relief. And as I bumped into different people in that building, they all were congratulating me. And it was like... Burj Khalifa all over again, you know, and I just like, I walked into one room and like this, actually this guy who was, had been particularly grumpy with us for the whole month and he was in the broadcast team and he just gave me a big hug and he said, oh, you did an amazing job. Well done. And it just, that alone felt, you know, was eye opening. And that realization of like, we've done it, but we've now got 181 more days to go. <laughs> <laughs> was also eye opening. But yeah, it was definitely an experience. But this is exactly why those senior officials and everybody involved were dropping in to congratulate you. Because to the viewers, it was amazing. Mm, it was. Absolutely. Little did we know. It really was a duck swimming gracefully or whatever the metaphor is and paddling mad furiously underwater. And yet it looked so seamless, so beautiful. Well, wait to tell you about day two. That was day, I mean, day two just kind of <laughs> went in a completely different direction. It just. I mean, there's one thing that I'm at least taking away here. At least you didn't have to do the opening ceremony of Expo. <laughs> Can you imagine? But do you know what? In a lot of ways, that would have been easier because, you know, oh. when you do an event like that, it's kind of all out of your hands. It's like there's an event company yeah. that's planned the event and you're covering the event, you know? Yeah. Whereas when you are oh, yeah. responsible for creating content, and having presenters and guests and reports. And there's a very different level of production mm -hmm. required for that. But yeah, I'm sure they had a world of challenges on the opening too. We just don't know about them. Turn right, turn right. Oh! <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. don't left. <laughs> well, yes, we're coming to day two. And just a quick note for our listeners. This event ran for six months. And we're only talking about day two, but also remember, there were quite a few special days that came about in the calendar. So we had the UAE National Day, we had New Year's Eve, and we had so many special concerts, and there was so much happening 
uh, during those six months. And then, of course, not to mention the closing ceremony and mm. that marathon that happened during the closing ceremony. So there is a whole lot more to come. Reem, over to you for day two. Now, how did day two feel? So far, we've had a pre-recorded episode and a day one, which was recorded all over again and technical issues notwithstanding. How did day two turn out for you? Well, I wish I could say that we'd learned from what went wrong on day one, but there was a whole new set of challenges on day two. <laughs> because for those who are familiar with Expo, a different country was celebrated every day. They had a national day, Expo national day celebration. And part of our mandate on the show was to highlight the national day. And actually in our early days, we used to throw to the ceremony which meant we had to be aware of the details of that ceremony, specifically when it was going to start. And on day two, it was Uganda's National Day. And what I remember clearly is that we now had guests. It was our first experience bringing guests into the studio. And I had brought in a guest who ran a few businesses in Uganda. Unfortunately, he was someone I knew. I was trying to be safe with our first few guests. And he was in the studio. He was being interviewed. I believe it was about five to 10. And 10 a.m. is when we were informed that the dignitaries from Uganda were arriving and they would wrap up the interview and, and throw to, to the national day. And please remember that I'm in the middle of producing a live show. So as in my focus is on the presenters and the guests and the content and the report that's coming up and the name strap and, and the audio and the commercial breaks. And there are hundreds of things you're juggling at that moment in time. And as we're getting ready for the Ugandan dignitaries to arrive, my phone rings. And I'm not someone who ever pays attention to my phone during a live show, but I had it on the counter in front of me and I could see it was someone senior at Expo. And given it was our second episode, I thought I should answer. So I answered the phone and I was told, just want to let you know, the Ugandan National Day has been postponed by 45 minutes. Can you handle it? Can you handle it 45 minutes? And I was like, 45 minutes. So, yep, okay, no problem, I'll handle it. I went to a commercial break and I went into the studio, physically walked into the studio and I spoke to the guest and I said, how long can you talk about Uganda? And I said, can you talk about it? He's like, yeah, I can talk about it. I said, okay. And I briefed the presenters. I said, okay, well, I know that he runs a tourism business. I know he runs a hotel business. You know, let's focus on the tourism, the hotel part first and then let's do that for five minutes. Let's move on to the tourism, you know. I literally, yeah, you know, our commercials are all two and a half minutes. So then I walked out, I got back on comms. And just as we started that segment again, I got another phone call. And it was another a different senior executive at Expo. And I looked at my phone, I thought, okay. And I picked it up and they said, no, we're back on schedule. They'll be out shortly. So I was like, okay. And then at that moment, I briefed the presenters. I said, look, change of plan. We're back on schedule. You can say goodbye to the guest, let him out. And they thanked him and they let him out. And Within about a minute of us doing that, I had my third phone call. And at that point, I was like, what is going on? And I picked it up and I said, no, no, 15 minutes delay. 15 minutes delay. Okay, guys, you're going to have to ad lib about Uganda. I'll find some content I can throw on. But what do you know about Uganda? Let's start talking about you. And of course, they've lost their guests now because we've just waved him goodbye. He's left. So they're sitting there talking about Uganda. Right. Another minute went by and phone call number four happened. And at that point, we're so, so sorry, but it looks like it's not going to be 15 minutes, more like half an hour. Okay. And then at that point, I just said, right, what other reports do we have? Because there's no way in this planet they're going to be able to talk about Uganda for half an hour. So what else do we have that we can fill air? 
And then the fifth call came in. All these phone calls happened within, I would say, it must have been a five minute window. So they were quite quick. And by the fifth call, I was annoyed. By the fifth call, I just said, who am I supposed to listen to? Like, who's actually got the accurate information of when this is going to start? And just as I got off that phone call, the Ugandan dignitaries arrived. So we got Ugandan dignitaries. (laughs) But it was one of those situations where, and I just thought, I can't do this every day. You know, on a daily basis, not know, you know, when they're coming, how they're coming, what we're going to throw to. It felt like you were kind of just pulling straws out on a daily basis. And, you know, I did have a few conversations about the clarity of communication at that point. And where could we be getting the accurate direction? And so, yes, obviously, within a few days, the process got much smoother. And that was obviously only day two. But it was definitely had a lot of, it was not a smooth process. Because what we began to realize is different countries treated this in different ways. And as you'd imagine, very, very stereotypically, you know, countries like Switzerland were bang on time and countries like Egypt were like half an hour late. So it's you had to be flexible and you had to and that's part of live TV as well is like the flexibility of being able to have enough content on standby to fill airtime when it happens to have the presenters ready with as much, you know, information and facts and general knowledge to fill if they need to. And that's when fortunately, we were able to start putting in a live reporter as well. So then we had a reporter who we can throw to, who was, you know, on standby, who can tell us, you know, what the crowd was feeling. And so that these are all kind of tricks you play to help, you know, manage a live situation. And I would say we got very, very good at managing it very quickly because we had to. Yeah, wow. I mean, towards the end of Expo, there was like a wrap-up sort of do that you'd put on. I remember we came to see you there and we met a couple of the, the scriptwriters who obviously had been there through all of Expo. And they were saying that, like you say, some different pavilions did different things. And occasionally it was like, well, hang on, you're a guest on the show. Where are you? Oh, I'm off to the sustainability pavilion. Dude, you're supposed to be here. No, 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 no. I'll be half an hour or something. Less. No, come on, you know. I don't know. My hat's off to you for managing that. Absolutely amazing. It was quite interesting to see how different countries treated it differently. You know, so there were some countries that took the commitment very seriously and took the opportunity very seriously as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were constantly feeding us with great talent, great guests and really understood the value in working with us because it could showcase who they are. And, and then there were other countries that didn't, you know, at all and would either show up incredibly late and just expect you to still maneuver your whole schedule to fit them on the show or just not show up and, you know, expect you to fit them in the next day. And didn't understand that for us, that's, I still have a viewing audience at home to consider. And, and also mm. you want to create a good show. You want to do your best to create content that people will want to watch and kind of seamlessly flows together and doesn't feel like a patchwork quilt, which was difficult at times given, you know, 192 countries. But yeah, it was definitely d- interesting working with over 192 cultures as well, because they just all behave very differently and treated it very differently. I mean, look, I must say, like spectator, if you will, or a, a guest of Expo, when we went, it was very well organized, incredibly well organized, particularly from the COVID standpoint and the, well, the, just the general security and everything it was absolutely amazing. I have actually been to an Expo before, eons ago, 
the one that was in Brisbane in 1988, if you don't mind. And I remember even then, it was a big deal. And the scale and the scope of it was something to really behold. And the one in Dubai was incredibly powerful and I don't know, just so well put together. And then something is, in, in a way, simple, if you will, it's one of the cogs in the entire wheel of the TV show. And just so many people doing their thing and not doing their thing and stuff and you managing your piece of it. I, said, I just total respect indeed. Rim, yeah. how big was your team during this whole time? So we had a technical crew and we had our production team. Mm. So in total, we were around 60, mm. but that includes kind of a rotating technical crew as well. Sure. But yeah, you'd get to know each other very quickly and yeah. find but... work as smoothly as possible. Yeah. So, Reem, earlier I was talking about the special days that you mm. had to put a show out for. How was that different from your daily live show? Very different. So the first special day was National Day, and it was extra special because it also was the UAE's 50th birthday. So it was very important that you know this was showcased well, and as a result, Expo had actually planned a lot of very interesting events that day. But what was different for us is I think we had around about 48 hours notice. We were given 48 hours notice, you know, the requirement to produce a special day. And what does that mean? It meant that instead of our usual 90 minutes, our show was 90 minutes. Occasionally it hit two hours when there was a national day event. But instead of our usual, we were now going to be producing seven hours. So with 48 hours notice. Wow. Yep, with 48 hours notice, the suggestion was put on the table of whether we could be on air for seven hours. And anyone who knows me will know that I love a challenge. And I just looked at it and I just went, yeah, we can do it. And it sounded crazy, and, but I knew we could. I knew that if all of us, all hands on deck, could pull this off. And we did. For, so for 48 hours, we reached out to all the guests we had, started like, producing additional content got more reporters on board and sure enough that day we were on air for seven hours and what I think probably stands out for me the most is that I'm pretty sure it was an error-free seven hours so something about the energy of that day we managed to have 25 guests which is quite a high number 25 guests that day and out of the 25 only one cancelled and we were able to replace that one, which again, considering we were just talking about people's commitment and people falling mm. through, to have 25 appear on that day was yeah. great. And it stands probably as one of my best memories of the whole six months is being able to have achieved that show in that timeline, but also to have produced what I think was a great show that, that kept people watching full day. And what a milestone this is, the 50th year of formation of the country. And it was already a huge deal. And then to coincide with Expo and putting that together to match the occasion, that, that was brilliant. And mm. what a memory to take away. Absolutely. I think it's one that I'm really, really proud of us doing as a team. You know, we all had to work, you know, very hard in that 48-hour time period to get it done. And I think it shows. And I think everyone, I think that was actually probably the turning point in terms of our, mm. well, both two things, our relationship with Expo, because I think we were able to pull off something that mm. they weren't expecting us to pull off. So post that, they were very open to any new ideas we had or support 
we needed to get to the show in a different place. But also in terms of viewers and in terms of the pavilions and people wanting to be part of the show, it was one of those days that made people realize, oh, we're here. There's a show worth watching. So I'm very proud of it. Of course you are. Earlier, Evan was talking about us as visitors. We saw that expo with COVID protocols, with security protocols, and just general flow of traffic, making sure everything is, as a customer experience, it was smooth and seamless for us. And I'm now particularly going to talk about COVID protocols. And I know that you had to deal with that quite a bit within your team as you went along in those six months, protocol or otherwise, the fact is you were all working together and it was bound to happen, I suppose, that somebody got in, you know, had to take a break because of that. As if producing a live daily show wasn't enough of a challenge, <laughs> but like needing to do it, you know, in a pandemic. And, and honestly, you know, the expo team were very careful and they put a lot of precautions in place. And one of those precautions was, the need for us to have 48-hour tests and show a negative PCR to enter our building, which, you know, a lot of people kind of were a bit put out by that, but it was ultimately in the interest of everybody's safety to do that. Yeah. But obviously it brought the topic to the forefront on a daily basis because on a daily basis we were having our, you know, trips to get our PCR tests done and, you know, everyone's like on eggshells waiting for their negative, you know, SMSs to appear. Mm. And sure enough, unfortunately, it did hit our team. I remember it so clearly. Um, it was probably the first episode was the first most stressful day. And this was the second most stressful day. And it was when one of our reporters, I woke up at six in the morning to a message from her mentioning that, you know, she'd just received her positive SMS. And so obviously we went into this whole process of who have you been in touch with and I, I you know rang the team who had and requested they not come in and request they go get tested and but what ultimately transpired is that you know she'd been in touch with most of the team uh. you know that day when I walked in you know it led to a bit of a delay and a bit of a kerfuffle in terms of that day's episode and what was really fascinating is that my guest, one of my main guests that day was the head of media broadcast. And she'd messaged me the day before. And she said, oh, do you mind if I bring my niece to the studio because she wants to like have a look at behind the scenes? And I said, no, no problem at all. And so there I am standing in a studio where half my team are getting their PCR tests done. And it was about 8.15 and we were you know, due to go live at nine. I didn't have my presenters. I didn't have my reporters. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to pull off an episode. And I turn around and there's the head of media broadcast with her niece and her, you know, her relatives there. And for about five minutes, I thought, what am I going to do? So I just gave her a tour of the studio. So for five minutes, I just did the whole, well, this is an autocue and this is, you know, would you like to take a seat? And, you know, we'll take a photo of you. And, you know, and as I was kind of processing in my head, you know, what I was going to do about that day's episode. And meanwhile, I was very proactive in ringing all the other presenters, you know, and just to see like, who else can make it here on time to pull this episode off. And gradually, it was becoming more apparent that I was not going to be able to have someone there for 9am. Fortunately, two of the presenters were responsive and they do live radio in the morning. So I guess that's the benefit of working with radio presenters. They're usually up, mm, mm. but they could only make it in by around 10. 
So that's when I had to turn around the head of media and just say, we're not going live today. And I explained the situation. I said, my team are all getting tested. So mm. she obviously understood because that's safety first. So on that particular day, we repeated an episode, which was a hard pill to swallow. And but fortunately, you know, we had other presenters come in shortly afterwards. So we pre-recorded what was then the next day's episode. And for a two week period, I just made a decision to move to pre-recorded in the afternoon because I just didn't want to risk having more days like that where I would wake up in the morning to those kind of messages. And sure enough, it ended up being the right decision because every day from that day on, one, if not two members of our team went down with COVID. So it was literally, and it reached a point where it was just myself, the director, and one of our production coordinators who were almost in this bubble in the studio. And we didn't want anyone else coming in because we clearly seem to have been the survivors in this. Mm. And unfortunately, just as we were hitting day 10 of the first person going into quarantine, I started to feel unwell. And, you know, I went down as well. But in a strange way, I feel very lucky that it happened the way it it did. Like I feel at least it kind of hit us all in one go. Mm -hmm. And also I was the last man standing, which meant I was able to carry through you know, the show whilst everyone else was unwell. And by the time I got sick, they were all kind of returning. And yeah, and that's how we survived COVID. Producing live TV for the greatest show on earth with a global reach in the middle of the pandemic, really, the the layers keep adding up. And to think you produced what you did, this is amazing, phenomenal. Total rock star. That you are. And then came the closing show because you were on on air for seven hours again, weren't you? We were for six, but actually something else that I did, which a lot of people at the time thought I was a bit crazy, but I'm actually really yeah. glad I did. You know, now that we obviously had the trust of the expo team and they were happy with how the show was going around December, they said, you know, what changes do you want to make? Mm. So I said, oh, what are loads of changes I want to make? Because I proposed a lot of things in the early days, but obviously before we'd started, everyone was was being very safe and, you know, they weren't ready to kind of let us try a lot of the suggestions. But now it was a case of like, what do you want to do? I said, oh, well, you know, I want to move to the afternoon. So I want to move it from a morning show to an afternoon show because Expo is open. So we'll be able to see more of it and it's more Mm -hmm. live than when we're doing things at 9 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, I want more reporters and I want a second studio and I want to have live performers and I want to have a competition. And I think our graphics should change. I made a whole list of new requirements or new suggestions and they were very supportive. And they basically said, go for it. If you think all of these things will, you know, improve the show or take it to a new level, then go for it. So effectively, what had happened, these decisions were made end of December, beginning Jan. And by Mm -hmm. early Feb, we launched what was Studio Expo 2.0. And it was like starting from scratch, you know, which a lot of people was, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's a six month project. You've been, you know, you're pretty much on autopilot by month three. We'd got the hang of all of our technical challenges. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. I became known for, I used to write a daily report. So I became known for my daily reports because every day I'd write a report of this, 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 this needs fixing you know, and I was on people's cases every day and it was working, you know, so we got to a point where things were running quite well. So why would I go and just try and reinvent things? And it's one of the the best decisions I think I made because 
it would have been so easy for me to sit there and say, no, we're fine. We're happy in the morning. Everything's going well. But I think because we added so many new elements, it kind of revived the show and it gave everybody like new energy for that last two months. And we ended on a bang. You know, we ended on a high. I would definitely say our last two months were our strongest. And it felt like it was an upward, we were moving upwards as opposed to plateauing, which I started to feel around late December. I started to feel like, oh, you know, this is getting a bit too samey. Mm. So this was a great way for us to kind of revive everyone's interest in the show. But again, it came with its own new challenges. We now had two studios. So now we had a second studio, which had its own gallery, which had its own technical problems. And there were days that felt like we were back on week one, you know, because we were again, not hearing people and things not working. And, but I wouldn't take it back because I think, again, for the viewers at home, it was a much, much richer show in that second wave. And we added new presenters as well and, and just gave it a bit more diversity. But you said earlier that people may feel that that was a crazy thing to do. And yet, this is where experience shines. Look what you did. It, crazy as it may have sounded at that time, what mm. you did literally was a revival halfway through. A much needed revival. And you recognize that and you quite boldly put forward your suggestions and you pulled it off. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people don't underestimate like 182 episodes. Yeah. That's a lot, you know. So keeping in mind, we were live during the weekend as well. Mm. So by December, we'd already done 90, you know, we'd crossed the 90 mark. Yeah. There are shows on air that never get to that, that number. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah, I think it was, although for many, they sat there thinking, why would you do this in three months? For me, it's like, I'm going to do this after 100 episodes. It needs a shift at that point. And also, I'm always a big believer of you never know unless you try. So I didn't want to get to the end of Expo and feel like, oh, we really should have tried doing it differently, or we should have tried to push for the afternoon, or we could have got a second studio, or we could have done those performances. And I used to have this conversation with our director, Sophia, quite often, because she thought I was crazy. And she would, <laughs> which is quite, if for anyone who knows her, knows that that's unusual. She's definitely the crazy one between us. But anyway, but she thought I was crazy because she'd say, look, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it you know so if everyone's happy with the current show why would you do this and you risk so much more and I just kept thinking I just don't want to reach the end and feel like we could have done something differently and done something better because we'll never know otherwise there isn't a second go at this you know there's one take so yeah so there's something else I'm very happy we well I pushed for and, and oh did. very nice um, indeed so tell us about those seven hours closing ceremony yeah, it was, it was actually ended up being six. But yeah, that, um, I think at that point, I knew we'd done it already. We'd done mm. it for National Day. Mm. And that still stood out as one of my fondest memories. And so I knew we could do it. And it felt like we should. It felt like we're going to end. I don't want to end with 90 minutes. You know, <laughs> by this point, we're like we've been on air every day and we're just going to end with 90 minutes. <laughs> and I think there was such a big buzz around Expo, especially that last month, where I think mm. the general public all really want to finally head down and experience it, or, or they finally understood that it wasn't going to be there, and they had to like get everything in. So, so in terms of just the atmosphere in that last few days was electric, it was heaving, you know, so I wanted us to create a show which brought that to viewers. And so as a result, I wanted all of our all of our presenters and reporters were in it and we had multiple kind of cameras all over the site so we had the most 
a live episode that we've had so far mm. in terms of being able to jump from one place on the site to another, which we hadn't been able to do as much previously. So yeah, I was definitely up for making it stand out and giving Expo the kind of the farewell that that it needed. And although what I should add is we, we then ended up doing an episode on the first as well. So Right. So the day after it was over. The the day after it was over. And again, a lot of people said, well, how are you going to make that different? If you just had your big six hour bang on the, you know, mm. what are you going to do on the first? I said, well, on the first, that's when we're going to look back at everything. That's what we're going to celebrate everything. And that's when we're going to get some key guests. And I think what definitely helped our last couple of days is, you know, I'd been asking pretty much throughout the six months to try and get Her Excellency Reem Hashmi on the show. And it was always a standard response of, you know, obviously she's got hundreds of things on her, of her list of things to do, but we finally got a, a yes. So she was on our show on the 31st. Yeah. And that was amazing. That was amazing. What a win. Yeah. To end our whole Studio Expo journey with her, our, one of our key guests. And we also had Ahmed Al-Khatib, who's responsible for delivering the Expo project. And he was on our last day. And even as he walked out the gallery, he stood, someone fortunately recorded it on their phone. He stood and thanked us all because he said, you know, the Expo site was his baby. And he felt that he was thanking us for bringing that to viewers oh, you wow. know, through the show and how he felt we'd done a great job at delivering that you know, those moments which kind of feel like people did appreciate the effort and energy that went into producing this. What a massive pat on the back that is. It's very well done. Yeah. I mean, I want to also thank, you know, the, the Expo media team because we work very closely with Mandy Keegan, who is head of broadcast, and Sinead Gian from the VP of communications. And like they brought in, they were guests on our last show as well. They brought in a massive cake, which was customized like Al Wassel Plaza. And you know, oh, you just wow. thought it was kind of, it was lit up as well. So it was just bizarre. Um, wow. So just kind of these moments of those last couple of days, which I think will, will stick. Well, we, I'm going to scour your social media to find a photo of that cake, because mm. now I'm curious. I yeah. got to see that. I'll send it to you. I haven't seen anything like it. And then we had a whole discussion about how we were going to carry it into the studio. And does it need a trolley? And, you know, does it need electricity to light it up? And all these other conversations. But yeah, it was very impressive. How brilliant. Evan, you had to... I was, some- was going to say, the El Wessel Plaza, that reminds me, if anybody doesn't know, it's, that's the big dome in the center of Expo. We loved coming to Expo early in the morning, um, sort of as soon as we could get in, like nine o'clock kind of thing, because that dome had a very special sort of place, a beautiful sound system. And it was almost a, a great place to, to meditate even. It was so tranquil and just, just magic. But I do remember the last probably two weeks, it became very inaccessible because a lot of events started taking place and you know, everyone's being shooed away kind of thing. But that Arbus Plaza was incredible. And the acoustics over there, you're right. It was stunning. Yeah. And to have a cake that looked like that, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> so, Reem, you produced live TV for 182 days for the greatest show on earth. You don't come away from a high-energy event like this. It's almost like going to the war and returning to normal life, whatever normal life is. And it's bound to have some effect emotionally even to say, well, I've woken up and not going to Expo. 
I keep telling people I have PTSD because that's what it feels like. It's like whenever I hear someone say expert, I kind of jump up and I flinch and I just, um, but yeah, there's definitely a level of withdrawal because that both for the event, which I think a lot of us are going through because, you know, it was a great experience. And for a lot of people, it was just something they did on the weekend or something that, you know, became part of their routine. But when you're there every single day, you know, it really becomes part of your life. And so for the event, very, very different. So yeah, trying to adjust back to normalcy is not easy. And I guess it's a case of, you know, looking for the next adventure. Of course. Who knows? Maybe Expo 2025. There you go. I was just going for that because experience like this is so niche because what you produce is not something a lot of people can boast about in this world. Because, and that was going to be my next question. So what's the level of progression? Because, and just for the benefit of our listeners, I want to talk a little bit about you, Reem, because you really are that global level industry leader in what you do. And coupled now with an experience like this, the world really is your oyster, you personally as well. Mm. So why did you mention 2025? Tell me. I think, you know, as I mentioned, live TV has that energy. I really did enjoy the expo experience. And, and that kind of feels like a fitting next adventure. You know, having been to Japan, I'd be up for that. But yeah, it's interesting because I love the media space. I love learning. I love TV. I love video. So that's the world that I want to continue to live in. But it's about, I guess, finding the projects that also feel like they're always cutting edge or that the next step. And yeah, maybe it is Expo 2025, but maybe it's something else. So it's just about really opening up and being open. I opening up being yeah. open, but you get the idea, just being yeah, open yeah, to yeah. whatever those possibilities yeah. may be. And, and let's yeah. see. Um, along with that, and you mentioned something earlier, technology is playing a very big part and in innovation and technology plays a big part now on where your industry is going. So can you tell us a little bit about where is this industry as a whole headed and I think and if people talk about NFTs, it's almost like we've left NFT in the past. It's, it's yesterday's news almost while it's still there, but it's, there's so much more happening. Every day is a new day. So mm. what's it like for you who actually heads the industry? Honestly, I feel like there's so much change in the industry at the moment, and I don't think everyone understands it. I'm not going to claim to understand it. And every second day I'm hearing about NFTs more and I'm hearing about the metaverse and how we need to be ready to, you know, have our digital selves and avatars ready and and all of that. But I often kind of still drill it all the way back and want to go back to basics and look at what are we doing just to create content and be visible. And I'm still very passionate about that message. So Mm. it's one thing to run with technology. Mm. But the technology is going to keep evolving and there's going to be new things that come out. And, you know, if you're not up today, well, you know, don't worry because tomorrow will be completely different. But the one thing that is in your control is your message and how visible you are and owning your space and embracing your niche and, and being visible with your content, which is what I'm trying to do more of. So I definitely think that at least in the short term for business owners out there or, you know, thought leaders out there, just focus on getting your presence out and being more visible and then don't worry about the technology because that's going to evolve and change so just start with the basics first and besides which if they do need help with the technology they have you to to call so ti22 can certainly help you with that that too yes i mean what i love about this entire story reem is 
what looks like an overnight success, in fact, has taken many, many years and experience and hard work and grit and courage and forethought and all sorts of things and being flexible to produce something so magical as the, the greatest show on earth, or at least the, the, the TV show that went with the greatest show on earth. And that experience will totally hold you in, in good stead. And any entrepreneurs out there, you know, you have an absolute expert here who knows exactly what to be doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. For budding TV producers, what are the top two things you would say to watch out for or just embody? I think if you're going to enter the TV industry, you have to understand that you need to be willing to do anything and everything. You have to be willing to start from the bottom and work your way up. I see a lot of people who just swoop in and think that they can instantly produce or direct and I see that a lot in this region, actually. But, you know, in the Western world, you've got more of that, you know, working your way up from being a runner and to being an assistant and just learning. So I mm-hmm. would say do as much as you can to get on the ground experience. This is not an industry where you're going to learn anything from a book. You know, it's fine. You might get some theories, but quite honestly, you need to be in the thick of it. You need to get that work experience. And that's what I tell everybody is just get into a studio, even if you don't, you know, you're there on work experience or you're there because that what you'll learn just by being around experienced producers and also different producers work differently. So you'll look, pick up different things from different producers. So it's definitely the hands-on experience that's going to put you in the right place for where you want to go more than anything that you can learn online. Mm. Oh, totally. And also develop that ability to think on your feet. Because if there's an essence of your story, that's what it is. I think absolutely you need the flexibility. So the flexibility to change, to change whatever your plan is, literally with a moment's notice. And you can't allow that to get to you. And, and I notice actually even with some of the other producers on the team, because I've had so many experiences of things not going the way I planned, I could see how upset they were getting when things didn't go to plan. And you know, my instant response was always like, nobody at home knows, you know, so don't get upset. Like at the end of the day, nobody knows what you'd plan. Just remember, it's perception is reality. It's the viewer's experience that matters. So, but it was interesting to me because I'd seen at least where how far I'd come, you know, when I think back to my Burj Khalifa experience and how upset I was, you know, I was literally, and I mean, that was now 11 years ago, but how upset I was thinking, oh my God, I've produced the worst show ever, to now being able to look at it objectively and, you know, with some of the other producers on the team and realize, you know, how, understand that emotion. I knew how they were feeling, but knowing that, no, you've actually done a great job. So yeah, it's being flexible. Absolutely great tips. Reem, what can I say? But a huge thank you. These are stories that must go out to the world. Mm. Because like Evan was saying, these are stories of grit, determination, that immense resourcefulness and being able to rely and draw from your experience. And these are stories that must come out. So thank you so much for so generously sharing your six months with us. Well, actually 12 years with us, because that's when Burj Khalifa opened 2010, January. This has been immense. We loved every single minute of it. And as most of our listeners know, we usually record with the video on. And if you were to ever, ever, ever watch this video, you will find Evan and me on mute, but 
giggling away to some of the, those experiences that were being shared. And you think, you can't make this thing up because this actually just happened. And we were in mm. absolute disbelief, but it was so amazing to listen to. Yeah, completely, uh, completely mesmerized. Yeah, we were. And look, we've all been in this part of the world for long enough. Um, there's lots of things that, that each of us have done in different times. Um, Burj Khalifa was a, was a big one, obviously. At one point, there was a ship that came in into the country, and that was a big deal in a different way as well. And things sort of just happened. But you, Reem, you've been part of something that's absolutely huge. But wonderful stories. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you both for giving me the opportunity to share. I appreciate it. And thank you to all the listeners as well. So hope there was something interesting in there for, for everyone. Absolutely. Now, we're not letting you go just yet because after listening to this, they're going to want to actually go and watch some of those episodes. This is still available on YouTube, isn't it? It is. But actually, the show aired on Dubai One as well. So yeah. if you go on the Dubai One website, I believe on their VOD platform, Fantastic. Um, all 182 episodes are uploaded right there. We're going to be putting a link in the show notes for everybody to actually go and watch and go and watch these specific days that Reem was talking about and see what it looked like for you as a viewer. There is mm. no way we would have ever imagined this was happening in the background. So we're going to be posting the link to all those episodes and also a link to your LinkedIn account or your LinkedIn profile. Is that okay with you, Reem? Because I know people are going to want to connect. Yes, absolutely. Always happy to connect with people, always happy to support wherever possible. So yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. We look forward to having you again as a guest at some point, whenever your busy schedule allows you. We would love to have another conversation on the brand new project that you may be taking on at some point in the future, because I know someone like you needs to keep moving and will always keep moving. Thank you. Thank you both so much and hope to see you soon. Indeed. Cheers. Thank you for joining us and for listening all the way through. To get the show notes, the transcription, and of course, to subscribe, visit daretoscale.fm. The success of the show is thanks to you. So please keep the five-star reviews coming. Remember to share this with your network and keep the community expanding. We'll catch you at our next episode. And in the meantime, keep daring and keep growing.